We're back. Hey, Anna. Hi, <laughs> Dasha. It's that nice, that fall weather out. Yeah, that leather sweater, weather. Leather weather. <laughs> sweater weather. <laughs> um, back to school season. Yeah. How did your, you had a good yard sale? I had a yard sale. It was really fun. Did any psychos easy. show up? No psychos. Well, they probably did show up, but they were lurking in the in the distance, in the bushes. Yeah. And stuff. But no creeps or, or weirdos or freaks approached me personally. There was a couple of people who were kind of sticky and annoying, mm. but that's the worst of it. Everybody was really nice, and I meant what I said. Everyone was hot. I mean, back when we used to do live shows, it was Everyone always was a, a good-looking yeah. audience for the most part. Yeah, some fucking bitch tried to like come for me because of my Excuse fat phobia me? because i made that tweet about um how all of our fans are have a uh, great waist to hip ratios and our girlfriend material i mean and i was like wait fat chicks can have a a great waist to hip ratio proportion yeah it's not about weight it's literally not you about could weight. literally be like a fat bitch with a great waist to hip <laughs> ratio i'm sorry you can be it's true of course <laughs> It's the it's that's why they call it a ratio. Yeah. It's about keeping one small in proportion to the other. Yeah. No, this is I think this is what I have to call my book, the ratio. <sighs> the ratio. Book when I get around to writing. It's about getting mm-hmm. ratioed on Twitter and the waist and to have, hip yeah. ratio. Yeah. <laughs> and like liberal proportionalism <laughs> in race relations. There's so many meanings. There's so many good ratios. Um yeah, no, it was really nice. We might do it again. It was a great vibe. Cool. Everyone was like really shy and sweet. It reminded me of being like really nervous and shy to like talk to people when I was young. Um, have you ever met any of your idols, Anna? Yeah, <laughs> they I say met. You, they say you shouldn't. Yeah, they say you shouldn't. But I've I've actually had really good experiences every time I've met one of my idols, except for um, Nassim Nic- Nicholas Taleb. Not that he's my yes. idol, but... He blocked you. He blocked me many years later in a mass block. But I think he like when like 10 years ago when I was like, I don't know, like 24, 25 or something. I was sitting at like an Armenian Lebanese restaurant in the Flatiron with like two girls from the Gulf and my like Iraqi friend, my sister. And we were like a table of like eager Middle Eastern young people. And we sent some baklava to his table. He was like Mm -hmm. holding court with a bunch of like boring waspy academics and he sent it back claiming that there was allergies that somebody had allergies i mean maybe that's true that's true but he's such a gesture he's such a like i love to love because like you know like his whole thing is like anti-fragile because he's a profoundly insecure and fragile person he Mm -hmm. like weightlifts publicly right because he's like just like brittle and defensive which is cute that's why you have such a big personality because you're so small yeah yeah <laughs> um i but i also like him because he's like a classic middle eastern man who combines feminine vanity with masculine authoritarianism which is like the grossest combo ever totally it's like your boyfriend backhanding you with a perfectly manicured hand <laughs> with his dainty glove yeah <laughs> um he has his chest waxed but demands that you wear a burqa at all times that <laughs> I when I was really drunk in Paris I thought I saw Claire Denis Mm -hmm. and I like ran up to this older French lady at a restaurant (laughs) and but she apparently I was like are you and she turned around and was like yes I'm an actress it was like another like older French actress who I didn't (laughs) recognize but then I was like 
oh yeah, I totally know who you are. (laughs) (laughs) But when I did see Claire Denis at the High Life screening like a year and a half ago, I did say out out loud the second I saw her, I went, there she is. (laughs) (laughs) There she is. Oh my God. (laughs) Did she hear you? Yeah, I think so. It was a little. I mean, we she never met, but she did hear me say, guy. "There she, she is." Which was and mortifying. Yeah, yeah, that's like embarrassing and sucks. Mm-hmm. I met Camille Polia. I have to remember to pronounce it with the soft G. I at know, a book signing do. years ago with my sister, um, and she was really nice and cool. She like wanted to talk to everybody and was like very down to earth, and you know, uh, her publicist or whoever was the one like calling the shots was like giving everybody like five seconds sure. so it was like the apollo theater where they drag you off stage but yeah it just yeah i remember like uh the kind of like nervousness and shyness i experienced as like a young person um that has all but fallen away so it was like a very nice and wholesome experience it sounds nice if you guys do another one i'd peddle some of my wares yeah sure. you should yeah some of my ambient far-fetched purchases that <laughs> Leia I also want. accidentally brought a bag of my dirty underwear because i dumped some clothing on top of it and i was like oh yeah i should just like sell I this mean, that's where you were really making <laughs> yeah. a killing in the panty game yeah like <laughs> disgusting airy panties <laughs> they're not even nice victoria's secret pink is Victoria's Secret closed everywhere it in the city? It seems to be. I haven't seen a seen an open one for. It's funny a, that a it second. took COVID because you know, in all of my years going into uh, Victoria's Secret and getting migraines from the house scent, there have been like so many instances where I picked up a pair of underwear and it had skid marks or like snail tracks on it already because somebody had tried it on in the fitting Ew, room and yeah. they got dropped back into the pile. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, and it's all like schmatas made out of yeah. like plastic um what else is going on jack shit i don't know <laughs> not, not much we're talking about cuties today mignons is it mignons? mignons what does mignons mean cuties like little ones i think it means like cuties yeah oh, um and if we get to it the new charlie kaufman yeah film also on netflix yeah um what did you think of cuties pedophile (laughs) yeah (laughs) this is so deeply offensive and objectifying um yeah i thought it was a fine normal somewhat woke libtard film um yes i was surprised by the republican backlash actually first of all i thought it was a documentary i thought it was a mini series <laughs> kind of like dance moms yeah and then i realized it was a french film it's not even an american film no of course not. it's french a, people yeah. get a little bit of extra uh, latitude because they have a different concept of sexuality than americans like they don't believe in age of consent yeah they're all they're all, <laughs> they're pedophiles. all pedophiles and they um love making movies about girls getting their periods yeah and getting their cherries pop that's that's like like most that's like half of french movies anyway so yeah it's like she's ripe like a fine soft cheese (laughs) (laughs) but it also i thought had um kind of i thought the republicans would almost like it because of all the kind of muslim stuff and the social commentary yeah it was like it was a movie that was 
simultaneously gently critical of Islamic traditional traditionalism and also of the objectification and over-sexualization of children in the West. Mm-hmm. It was basically a critical film. It was about, yeah, a girl trapped between the decadent West and the <laughs> brutal, oppressive <laughs> Muslim upbringing. Yeah, it was like um, submission for Zoomers. <laughs> or like TikTok girls. Uh the girl was really beautiful and a really good actress. She was a terrific She was incredible. Actress. The way she cried on cue. I think she really like made that movie like watchable for me. A lot of the and her parents, yeah, too, or the actress who played her mother and her aunt. Yeah. Their their immigrant rage was very triggering for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so it was like emotionally resonant. Did you find the uh, depictions of sexualized preteens to be gratuitous no really i no, did a little a, maybe a little during the dance scenes it's just it yeah they were a little edgy but like well because the movie's supposed to kind of be yeah it's a critique of the over-sexualization of children, it has to make you feel uncomfortable. It's it's a critique which you can't make without depicting it, essentially. Right. You have to, like, exemplify and depict it. But it's not an endorsement by any means. Like, no. you know, in the final scene, right, um, Amy, the, the protagonist, Amy Therese, the protagonist, <laughs> with her big 11-year-old naturals, um, jumps off of the stage and abandons the routine and runs home but doesn't uh, doesn't agree to participate in her father's wedding i'll explain the plot in a moment right but goes outside and engages in an age-appropriate activity of jumping Mm -hmm. rope with the local girls it's a perfect like boilerplate centrist moral lesson right like instead of um seriously interrogating the duality of extremes you compromise yeah by accepting liberalism right exactly she (laughs) doesn't don her traditional uh sengalese gown and instead wears like a henley like a nice jeans yeah like a nice neoliberal subject and does something age appropriate yeah (laughs) i think sister sisters on the Um, mic so this is so this is a, a coming of age comedy drama that was written and directed by this French Senegalese woman, Maimouna Ducour, and this is her feature directorial debut. Mm-hmm. Um, and the girl is Amy is played by Fatia Youssef. Um, she's a Senegalese immigrant in France who finds out her dad is taking a second wife. Mm-hmm. He's in Senegal, there in France, and she falls into a group of like neighborhood bad girls who it turns out are actually training for a twerking competition. Yeah. Um, and they live in kind of like projects or whatever public housing um i feel like a lot of the people who were mad about the kind of over sexualization and objectification of children probably didn't get much farther than the poster well that's yeah so the netflix Netflix promotional materials were very different from the like the, the sundance and promotional materials in france yeah that did make it look kind of like a a dance mom's style salacious yeah they were wearing like you know purple lipstick and like teal crop tops which they wear in shorts they were but yeah um 
And so a lot of like right wingers kind of lost their shit. Usually it's the left losing their shit in recent history. So this is refreshing that the right wingers yeah. went back to their like culture war days. Exactly. Can't hashtag cancel Netflix. Got <laughs> trending Tulsi tweeted about it. Yeah. What did Tulsi say? She said that it. Um, she said something kind of cra- a little crazy. Yeah. She said. Child porn cuties will certainly whet the appetite of pedophiles and help fuel the child sex trafficking trade. One in four victims of trafficking are children. It happened to my friend's 13 year old daughter. Netflix, you're now complicit. Hashtag cancel Netflix. I I mean, cancel Netflix. I'm on board, whatever it takes. Yeah, cancel you know? Netflix for, for um, their predatory uh, pricing and streaming services, not for this movie. Um, I think, yeah, it's all a marketing psyop by Netflix, as you said. Yeah. To generate outrage over a totally inoffensive, uncontroversial French. Like, French people love, uh, like, social commentary. Totally. That's what all the movies are about. Muslims. And they hate Muslims, yeah. <laughs> so it's a great French film. And, and the- people, well, people were so butthurt over the marketing and promotional materials they forgot to watch the film and they totally missed the part where the food preparation ritual is supposed to be um evocative of fgm like when the girl walks into the room and there's like uh like scissors and calipers and all sorts of weird tools oh, and the aunt is like perceptive yeah. oh um today you will become a woman and you're sitting there you're like oh my god no no, no. and she's like you will prepare food for your father's second wedding and you're going to peel all of these 50 onions in one sitting. And you're just like, oh. <laughs> and then she goes to the closet and looks, there's like this weird kind of like, I thought the weakest part of the film where she has this like kind of symbolic fantasy disassociation with that Senegalese traditional dress. Yeah. And the dress starts like bleeding. Yeah. And you think she cut herself or something initially, but it's like a total FGM reference. I didn't pick up on that, but that's astute. I, yeah. I mean, I, I think that's, that's like my reading of it, but nobody got offended. I mean, the Republicans should be spinning their wheels at that. Though I guess it's like pro, it's anti-Islamic. Exactly. That's yeah. why I think it would have resonated with Republicans. Yeah. Because it's, it's about kind of the oppression of yeah polygamists. <laughs> this movie is like that Sengalese. comic that people share on Twitter. Uh, of uh, On one hand, on the left, it's like a woman in a burqa. And on the right, there's a woman in a bikini. It's like, this is the same kind of oppression. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, but it, it takes 90 minutes to, to, to get to that through, same yeah. thesis. Um, though I did. Well, it's clearly also, it's like QAnon trickle down. Yeah. Of like, this is this all goes back to Epstein, honestly. And Pizzagate. Pizzagate stuff. It's like the right wing has this like vigilante pedophile justice thing yeah yeah which is weirdly mirrored on the left with like age gap discourse and typically by like women who are obsessed with like true crime stuff and like sex crimes who think everything is like who have to live under like constant fabricated psychological threat of sexual violence to justify their perpetual victimhood yeah so there's just a ton of like pedophilic hysteria that's very hard to critique because people will 
inevitably call you a pedophile or say yeah. that you're quote telling on yourself but you got called a pedophile for saying that it was fine for johnny depp to date winona Ryder when he was 26 and she was 17 yeah <laughs> i said that that would seem normal to me and lots of like i don't know woke zoomer virgins were like doing vomiting emojis at me and yeah. stuff but um which i get sex is super scary um <laughs> if you haven't i got um, caught up called a pedophile for um saying that baron had like a stately and statuesque profile yeah like, Dude, I, I don't want to fuck baron trump he has an upside down ear and i'm not horny for <laughs> large adult blonde males yeah i got like, in trouble for been? calling him thick yeah. um. <laughs> a family of pogs they're like oh you're objectifying a child it's like what do you think like uh immigrant aunties do at parties they're like look at him he's, he's so, a real he's late, so lady yeah, killer casanova yeah please um but all of it to me seems symptomatic of just a general kind of like powerlessness yeah you know yeah i'm here to tell you vigilantism is for losers <laughs> it takes a lot of energy <gasps> oh, and yeah. burns a lot of calories and these people aren't interested in burning calories um and it just it sucks because it's it's like yeah okay the world is shitty the system is rigged against you you have to pay kind of a built-in bribe everywhere you go but just like accept that and move along you don't have to like weed out instances of evil and corruption everywhere because they exist and we all know they exist right and, and it's like gay and pathetic to like uh, dwell on them pedophilia is just it's a very like kind of black and white issue for people to become really intensely invested in like black people can't be pedophiles only white people only, <laughs> only white men can be <laughs> women and black people cannot be pedophiles and of course human trafficking is a problem there are like there are elite superstructures that oppress yeah. great swaths of people but what i the republican kind of argument anxiety about cuties seems to be that like pedophiles will be as Tulsi said it'll like wet their appetite and help fuel child sex trafficking and like they're scared pedophiles will jack off to this movie it's like they're already jacking off to, to everything to every, it doesn't they'll find something else to jack off to I mean it's <laughs> we can't censor things on the ground that a pedophile might find it pedophiles yeah appealing. are very industrious what do we, we want to ban children in general yeah we yeah we have to put burkas on we children. have to put burkas on the kids because um but that's no that's the thing it's like have the right wingers heard of youtube or tiktok which are breeding grounds they're like clearing houses for pedophiles like there was that story that the cut published a couple of weeks ago that i was reading in a moment of weakness because mm -hmm. it got like targeted to me as mm -hmm. like in an ad about this family of vlogger influencers who had a bunch of children and they adopted a chinese child mm -hmm. who it turned out like from china because it's one of the easiest countries to adopt from i guess it's mm. it's harder to adopt in the united states allegedly um and plus they wanted like an exotic flavor child yeah. um and of course it turned out that this child had a lot more developmental and behavioral problems than of course. had been apparent at the time. And they slowly and quietly kind of gave him away. So he disappeared from their vlogging content. And of course their 
uh, fans and followers who are even bigger losers than they are picked up on this and tried to cancel them. Uh-huh. But the story is like gross all around. These people, you know, they it's like follow our adoption journey to mainland China. Yeah. Oh. Um, but the sickening kind of tangential, like off topic stuff that like emerged from reading this article is that there's a lot of these families who like pimp out their kids on social media. Oh yeah. And make tons of money and get like products and endorsements and stuff like that. And they'll publish things like um, preteen daughter shaves her legs for the first time or preteen daughter goes bra shopping for the first time. And recently, I guess Google deleted a bunch of this sort of content from mm-hmm. YouTube because it was like literally like pedophiles are congregating Pedo and time stamping, yeah. time stamping it. Yeah. And it's like, well, what do you expect? Yeah. I mean, again, cancel Netflix. I'm on board. But if we're canceling stuff, why not cancel Pornhub? Yeah, or, or TikTok. X videos are like actually very visibly exploitative industries in which like actual child pornography is routinely disseminated. Yeah. That warps people's ideas about sexuality to begin with. Yeah. Or like, I mean, I don't know, pedophiles are a tale as old as time. They've always been around. They'll always be around. It's kind of an uphill battle to root them out. It sucks. It's like one of the worst things that uh, you know well the problem with pedophiles to me isn't necessarily their pedophilic so i'm just like too old for them is that they don't like me anymore. <laughs> um isn't necessarily that they have isn't that the ped the desire isn't the problem it's the, the, uh, on it. it's the abuse of power yeah yeah that's what's so heinous about Epstein, yeah, more so than the fact that he had an appetite for fifteen-year-olds. Yes, I agree. Yeah. It's that he there was like an elaborate kind of trafficking system, yeah, that perpetuated that was like farming out girls yeah. to other shadowy figures who we'll never hear about, and that comes from power. The problem isn't like some lone pedophile jacking off to TikTok videos. Yeah, and the other thing is, I guarantee you, pedophiles have a black market and like their own social network where they disseminate gruesome, uh, gory, probably uh, explicit videos of children being like trafficked and raped. They don't need to jerk off to cuties though. They, I, I mean, mean, they probably would, but um, they definitely will now that all this, like that the Republicans marketing. brought them to the water. Yeah. And once they find out about the rest of verite style of French cinema, they'll be really stoked. Yeah. Um, <laughs> hey, hey, guys, have you heard of Serge Gainsbourg? I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think any art should be censored. Yeah. I think like it was, it's an age old conversation about pornography too, where it's like you have to kind of um, intent does matter. Yeah, but I did from a filmmaking perspective. I did find the cinematography to to be gratuitous. It just it's the if you can make a major criticism about she could have made she it I agree it has to be depicted. Yeah, but there were kind of stylistic choices and kind of lingering shots that did feel like that made me uncomfortable like the wet ass pussy video a little bit it was yeah like that sort of thing i think like 
the i think the worst critique that you can make of this movie is that it's a little boring a little literal a little on the nose and a little undeveloped like there's no continuity between the overall pace of the film which is like boring and uneventful and then these periodic like very gratuitous scenes um but it's not like dog tooth or something you know or like um, well remember when 13 came out i haven't seen that but it was suggested to me because i watched right well there was all a bunch of controversy when 13 came out as well Mm -hmm. that was like um also like a controversial movie because it depicted young girls engaging in like over sexualized behavior yeah and cuties deals with like 11 year olds which is more (laughs) kind of shocking yeah but little miss sunshine also came to mind yeah yeah and i don't remember there being much of an uproar about that yeah um but yeah i mean i think this movie also like the it was pandering a little too much like american values and sensibilities hence the kind of gratuity it was like a very french interpretation of like american media culture and social media which has now gone global or whatever but you know for 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 being kind of like a critique of the market it was rather market friendly yeah it wasn't a very salient um critique of like in the internet yeah to me yeah yeah it i guess french people have a different relationship to the internet (laughs) and child sexuality (laughs) but But that also has to do with i think um kind of like uh in america there's there is kind of a excessive preoccupation with child sexual abuse and pedophilia Mm -hmm. because it's total like shadow self stuff like Mm -hmm. people are americans are so repressed Mm mm-hmm um and so like republicans i think haunted by their own confusing pedophilic impulses that they have to like Mm -hmm. double down on cans on hashtag cancel netflix and stuff whereas like i think if you're if you don't have pedophilic impulses like i don't yeah (laughs) um when you watch cuties you're not like it's kind of gross and maybe a little gratuitous, but you're not like Horny? struggling with, yeah, with well, any, of those, was, any of these depictions really. I was watching kind of the more gratuitous scenes in cuties and thinking like, wow, this is very kind of pitiful and pathetic and sad. And like, I, you know, if you get horned up by this, I don't know what to tell you because it's just depressing. Yeah. Like these are children. Yeah. Like on no uncertain terms. They're like, my impulse watching these actresses is like to protect them. Right. Not to diddle them. Right. So like, if you like to like in to give them constructive activities like a, a, a sketch pad <laughs> and like some watercolors or like um a little drum set or whatever. Take them to a nice ballet class. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just like, girls, do you like bar um, <laughs> pole dancing? Um but yeah, I don't know. Also, like, there's a you know, the, the kind of irony of all of this is that Americans like are so busy like protecting their kids from the world that they fail to protect them from the market, 
you know mm-hmm. like everything is a safe space but the safe space has been totally infiltrated by commercial interests who are right. selling you parcels of real estate within that space right and like you know they parents literally thrust their children into the market i mean they have to because there's no like everyone's busy like making ends meet or whatever mm-hmm. um and also like i was thinking like keep in mind like this is a a movie about immigrant girls immigrant girls especially from like global south backgrounds mature faster they go through puberty earlier they have sex earlier on mm-hmm. average like statistically in, Amer- in america this is the case not with like you know like middle eastern latina girls uh african girls also african-american girls mm-hmm. and like that's also like i remember reading you know for example i don't know if this kind of information is even uh, disseminated in health classes now. I can't imagine what health classes in the United States are in the year 2020. But I remember literally my health teacher saying like, well, you know, some girls, especially from immigrant backgrounds, get their periods as early as 10 and other girls get them as late as 16 or whatever. Yeah. But it's, I don't know how like the kind of underlying mechanics, but I think this is like has a statistical basis in reality. Um, that girls from the global south mature. Yeah, like I mean, in America, like definitely like black I mean, and Latino girls mature earlier than white girls. I don't know in America all these like milk drinking chicks. Yeah, there's <laughs> there's also it's I like feel like there's I don't know. All the like genetically modified foods in America yeah, they, also probably contribute to. Well, America does have a problem with precocious purity, puberty. It does. Mm-hmm. Like the girls are maturing earlier and earlier, probably because of the seed oils and the hormones and the food and the air. I'm yeah. sure of it. That but, would be my, yeah. But early puberty also statistically means early sexualization. Like if you go through puberty earlier, you have sex earlier. Sure. That sort of thing. Yeah. And I thought the film kind of did successfully did depict them as children. Mm -hmm. Like when they're flirting with like older boys who are kind of rejecting them. Yeah. I kind of lost the thread when the, when Amy posts the picture of her vulva on Instagram. (laughs) I didn't get that. I was a little confused. I think the point was like that she's a naive and a nerd and not an initiate into like the way they do things around there and just kind of like over (laughs) plays her hand. But even they, like even her group of girlfriends has like a weird, they're like, dude, like you made us look bad. Yeah. Cause she's kind of a spurg loser. She's very, yeah. Timid. Yeah. And traumatized by her upbringing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like the other thing is like, um, you know, I don't think it was like that uh, overtly objectifying or grotesque or gratuitous. Like it's pretty like much what you'd expect of girls to act like in a culture where they're constantly besieged and attacked by sexual imagery. Like if you go on social media, right. you can see like women's pussies. <laughs> you can see whole. If you watch, uh, rap music videos yeah, if you, watch you might rap see music videos you might see some lascivious dancing which is yeah. where these girls girls learned about twerking and whatnot 
and kids are very impressionable the the one thing that the movie did do well and that remi- it reminded me of very strongly was how intensely children feel their feelings mm-hmm. like yeah. you think it's the end of the world when like your friendship with somebody breaks up or you get into a disagreement or you get bull- savagely bullied. bullied for being a whore <laughs> yeah but it feels like the end of the world mm-hmm. and not like a blip on the radar um and then you know the other thing the other thing that kind of I have a bone to pick with is how the family is depicted, like her mm. immigrant family. Like they're not, they're simultaneous. They're like not strict enough. You know, her mother is, is, she's supposedly from this oppressive, repressive culture, but her mother is actually very non-evaluative and indiscriminate and tolerant and non-judgmental. And finally she breaks down and slaps her around. Mm-hmm. Like, Well, I sort of thought that my read on that was kind of that her mother was so kind of preoccupied in her own suffering. Yeah. And kind of her husband taking a second wife and all of that. Like, yeah, that sucks. (laughs) Yeah. That the, um, her aunt or whatever seemed to be the more kind of like authoritarian figure in her life yeah they were supposedly both authoritarian but it's weird because she's an immigrant girl from a muslim background at that and she faces no consequences in the film like you know at some point she locks her little brother in the bathroom and he floods he turns on the tub and floods Mm -hmm. the apartment um at some point she throws the phone out of the window when her dad calls as an act of rebellion you know if i did either of those things my mom would take out the bell immediately like there would be no discussion sure and her mom is like yeah like long suffering and eternally tolerant (laughs) in a way that like didn't exactly add up because i think it was more of a like convenience like a stylistic convenience you know to move the movie along well they do that um kind of ceremony with her where they're like splashing her with oh it's like an exorcism yeah yeah she's like twerking yeah (laughs) which seemed to make some kind of i don't know mm, case for like repressed female sexuality within the cultural framework yeah of being from senegal or whatever and then when she when her father arrives with his new bride and she glimpses her in her like scary white yeah ghostly burka that's the kind of stuff you know you think we'd like over here in the decadent west yeah but of course yeah, scary burka stuff <laughs> i was reading that um it was like an axios article or maybe it was the daily caller one one of the ones that you sent me um and, and it's like you know the other thing is like this all this hysteria about the oversexualization and objectification of children is like preemptive and self-protecting because you also can't pump the brakes forever like this is the age 10 11 12 13 14 when girls start to get initiated into sex and become interested in sex Mm -hmm. and boys too it's just like inevitable right it's literally like the liminal phase that's why, like the dial, even like the dialogue around pedophilia is so kind of one-dimensional in true American form, because there's a huge distinction between pre-puberty and post-puberty, right? That's and like the, major, exactly, and just the willingful kind of blindness to context, the kind of the thread that 
went pretty viral that pointed out that Johnny Depp dated problematically dated Winona Ryder when she was 17 <laughs> um, is all about kind of celebs. Yeah. Like Winona Ryder was a child actress. She wasn't a naive yeah. high school girl. They've both been working in the film industry for a long time. It makes sense that she would date. It would be weirder for there would be more of a power imbalance if she dated a boy her own age who wasn't famous. I know. You know, I know. she'd be like the Epstein in the relationship. <laughs> Um, she's the one with the access to the private jet and the private island there's just a total kind of misunderstanding of power and desire both yeah wait can you unpack that for a minute because I actually think about like I mean even Seinfeld and I agree like yeah 35 year olds shouldn't date 17 year olds there are you know it is pathetic but it's hardly pedophilic like Shoshana whatever her last name is. Lonstein. Shoshana Lonstein. Um, Had the tits of a 35-year-old woman. She looks like a full-grown mommy yeah. to me. She doesn't... Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting hungry just looking at those milkers, <laughs> you know? It's... <laughs> to, like, insinuate that there's some slippery slope or that Seinfeld was acting on some, like, pedophilic desire. Yeah. He's very confused. Yeah, I think he like, I mean, and Jessica, Jessica Crispin actually wrote, just wrote a piece about the age gap discourse. Mm-hmm. Was it good? I haven't read it. It is good. And it, it points out something that I thought was very astute that, right, men accrue power mm-hmm. as they get older mm-hmm. and women have more kind of power in the sexual romantic marketplace when they're younger. Yeah. And so there's just a a dissonance in saying that these younger women in these age disparity relationships are, are being exploited. Yeah. Or agency less and powerless. Right. I like Jessica Crispin. She doesn't like us for some reason, I but I don't remember okay, why yeah. we have a lot of overlap, but um, yeah, it's like, this is literally an exchange. Yeah. It's just not a, a an exchange that that's, available on the market yet it's not a purely transactional exchange which by the way the liberals want it to be but why would rich powerful men date poor powerless women if not for some kind of kind of power that they wielded over them too exactly like these aren't you know i think it's like completely infantilizing and harmful to run with this narrative that women are helpless and hapless victims of circumstance and i think a big part of it is kind of elder millennials now aging out of their most sexually desirable years wanting to stigmatize attraction to women who are younger than them yeah no definitely well, I think, okay, I think it's girls, again, we, I mean, we've talked about this a million times, girls, women, it's, it's women who are also butt chugging the feminist Kool-Aid and want to believe that uh, they can't be successful in romance and dating with men because they're too strong or too intelligent when really they have unpleasant chiseling personalities. Mm-hmm. That's and all it is. So preoccupied with true crime sex crimes law and order special victims unit they like have this (laughs) 
conception of themselves as the most special victim and that men are like universally these kind of uh, exploitative oppressors. Yeah, which they're not. I mean, we've said this a million times too. They're indifferent cucks <laughs> yeah. who will take what they can get. Mm-hmm. Um, Someone made this like infograph of um the ages of all of leonardo dicaprio's girlfriends oh yeah i love that and this sort of line of him getting older and them (laughs) staying below 25 like i mean why would leonardo dicaprio date a woman over 25 he doesn't he's a movie star yeah and he has a screw loose he's like a weird perennial bachelor exactly he's like there's something admirable about it like it's like you know again um the problem with being an older man who dates drastically radically younger women isn't that you're abusing or exploiting them it's that you're a loser yeah like you're a pathetic (laughs) stunted loser who can't sustain normal um intimate relationships with people your age and the ultimate referendum on your on leonardo dicaprio's character will be one that he'll reckon with there's no need to you know demand that he date an age-appropriate person and this man has never been married he's never had children he's a weird kind of welbeckian man like perennial like vagabond world traveler like that's just his personality who cares it's not criminal he's not harming anyone i'm sure these chicks are more than happy to date leo dicaprio exactly and go to ibiza on his credit card (laughs) yeah they stand to gain a lot yeah it's not the worst from being his younger paramour yeah it's it's literally insane and also i think it just like a lot of this kind of grouching is coming from women who realistically have nothing to offer a man Mm. they don't cook they don't clean they're incapable of like reciprocal emotional exchanges uh everything is transactional for them they have um no ambitions or plans for the future they have um no desire to have children or if they do they've repressed it under layers of ideology mm-hmm. and i'm not saying i know a lot of people are like well anna wants is 35 and childless and wants women <laughs> to go back into the home and be barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen and i'm not saying that at all i'm just saying you have to be honest with yourself about mm-hmm. what you want which fe- femininism is like congenitally incapable of doing yeah they're all constantly to lying to venture. themselves And like, I think for me personally, the best sort of reciprocal relationship is when the man handles the um, hard labor. Yes. And like the financial paperwork. Balances the checkbooks and whatnot. Yeah. And I do like the domestic duties. It just works out and it's mutually fulfilling. Emotional labor. But if you flip the script and and switch the gender roles around and the woman's doing that and the man is doing this, it's all the same. Mm Mm-hmm whatever whatever floats your boat division of labor yeah i mean i will say um in the kind of the confluence of left and right pedophilic hysterias at least the right wing is consistent yeah in their like old it's like they have old school moralizing and the kind of the new wave of like QAnon vigilantism, mm-hmm. but it's all, it's a pretty unified perspective. Whereas on the left, there's this massive point of cognitive dissonance where an 18 year old um, in a consensual relationship with say a 35 year old is like 
um, a powerless grooming yeah. victim, but a sex worker in the same age dynamic is making some kind of empowered choice. Yeah, that's the most psychotic element of it. That, that it's like, okay if they if there's a literal exchange of power and capital <laughs> happening. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because I we mean, would never stigmatize sex work. But yeah. People's personal, private, consensual relationships are up for being stigmatized left and right. I know. The thing is, like, the left is is really talented at stigmatizing the wrong things and destigmatizing the wrong things. Pathologizing normalcy and normalizing pathology. Yes, like, sex work should be stigmatized. There mm-hmm. should be an element of shame around it. Mm-hmm. Not maybe for the sex workers, but for the, the clients, for sure. It shouldn't be, like, an above-board regulate i mean it should be regulated but it shouldn't be like a, a totally like a you know garden variety industry like being a real estate agent right. or like a barista or something <laughs> exactly it, it's a weird fundamentally black market field and i'm all for like protecting sex workers and making sure that they're not uh trafficked and prosecuted but again this is like one of those facts of life we're never going to eradicate all of the harm and shame from sex work it's impossible and you're not ultimately protecting sex workers by destigmatizing and normalizing sex work yeah because it's as we've i mean we've had this conversation a thousand times but yeah it's um the normalization of sex work typically protects a very small already privileged segment of like visible escorts yeah the best prostitutes i think no skin in the game i think palia says this is like the best prostitutes are invisible yeah that's true they would never be like advocating for themselves on on twitter or yeah that's beautiful prostitutes and the morally exemplary are both invisible classes (laughs) within society unfortunately therefore prostitutes are morally exemplary the, the <laughs> ones that can stay invisible i admire those broads a lot yeah i admire like that's why they get yeah. that's what they get paid for yeah like i you know i have i have a healthy dose of respect for real hookers and real strippers mm-hmm. but do i have a a ton of like respect and admiration for middle class girls who show hole on only fans no no like you you know have to earn it and you haven't thus far it's always like you know you don't you don't get respect i mean on a baseline as a human being sure but you don't get respect for your profession merely because you think you should and you feel entitled to it right it's like this old dog because you're stealing marginalized (laughs) valor um but yeah but i i wonder i mean both you and greenwald made this point that like yeah like the only relationships that liberalism permits are the purely transactional ones Mm -hmm. or bureaucratized yeah which is true i mean this goes also to lash's very good point in his critical essay on hillary clinton Mm. um about how hillary's um child care and education initiatives were supposedly um in service of empowering the individual but were actually designed to make the individual award of the expanded bureaucratic administrative state Mm -hmm. which is absolutely what liberalism is right um and like leftism to the same extent and a friend of mine made the very kind of like 
meaningful, I think, distinction that I've never heard before that, that leftists, for example, especially confuse the working class and the welfare class. Mm. Like they're one and the same in their mind and they're not. Right. And increasingly the middle class wants welfare concessions. That's what the left is really fighting for at the end of the day, which is fine. And we don't have to like evaluate it or discuss it. Um, but yeah, you guys make this point that like tra- transactional relationships trump um, actual relationships on some level, um, especially in the realm of something like ped- discussions around pedophilia. But I'm wondering, I like still can't wrap my head around why pedophilia is such a obsessive topic of focus for both the left and the right today like there's got to be some psychoanalytic explanation is what Uh, i'm saying because well i think in america there's two parts there's a kind of um uh like a shadow self projection formation happening Mm -hmm. because our culture is profoundly pedophilic yeah um and rather than having a a referendum on our decadent Western values. We'd rather kind of isolate the problem onto, you know, these kind of shadowy, sinister pedophiles. Yeah. I think Epstein red pilled a lot of people into understanding that there was kind of, um, a ruling class, which quickly gave way to kind of conspiratorial thinking Mm -hmm. again, out of powerlessness Like not being able to actually um, address real structural problems. Mm -hmm. So you QAnon is then becomes preoccupied with like policing individual problematic desires. Yeah. That the left also sort of runs with. And scapegoating individuals, many of whom happen to be like legitimately bad and deserve to be punished, but who are nonetheless like they've, perform a scapegoat function right society right as epstein clearly does Um, on some level um and because it's such a um categorically rigid issue you know no one no one's ad no one can advocate for pedophiles because they're (laughs) like deeply morally problematic and except that people, for pogs she she's she's a little amplifying. Yeah. <laughs> and there's an essay somebody wrote at, like cataloging every instance of her defending namble and she has a very you know kind of uh consistent and coherent mm-hmm. argument as to why yeah but generally like pedophiles are beyond the pale exactly so people have a instinctual understanding right that yeah children ought not be abused yes yeah but then when in america as we extend the category of adolescence childhood to 18 19 20 21 year olds mm-hmm. that becomes really problematic well that's i mean okay yeah but that's i think what it is too it's like the um age of adulthood keeps getting pushed forward in perpetuity so you have like a a bunch of like 40 year old teenagers walking around which is what millennials are are for (laughs) all intents and purposes and yeah i think a lot of people who have like are constantly harping about the grooming and age age gap discourses are uh people who feel themselves to be perennial adolescents like they never grew up but are coming up against the limitations of their age that are finally starting to reveal themselves because you really start to feel your age, I think probably around 
you know, 38, 40 right. as you enter into like official middle age right. or what used to be official middle age. Right. Which when is does where middle age start now? 50, 60? I mean, <laughs> that's so like the eldest millennials are 38 to 40. Yeah. Now. Yeah. So that makes sense to me. Yeah. And I think, yeah, this is and like women start feeling their age probably even sooner earlier yeah because this is when you start to confront your reproductive limits mm-hmm. which is scary um the i saw a good tweet from lee fang that i retweeted um he says what motivates the ruling class is a routine desire for maintaining power and self-interest but political storytellers need lurid emotionally driven narratives so the far left invents a white supremacist elite in charge of the country just as the far right imagines a pedo cabal mm-hmm and that's like yeah they serve similar functions and like you know black trans lives are untouchable in the positive sense and then pedophiles are untouchable in the negative sense right they're the two like extremes of the kind of like good and evil access (laughs) in america right the morality access yeah um so there's that and then i think also i mean the other thing that I was thinking of is basically that I think like pedophiles, yeah, pr- provide kind of, yeah, like a, a symbolic, a concrete scapegoat. Yeah, that I think ultimately is about a, a correct feeling yeah. about the ruling class that they are um, evil, exploitative kind of pulling the strings Mm -hmm. (laughs) to uh, meet their needs, which are exploitative and sick. And so pedophilia becomes like a perfect kind of illustrative talking point of this. If like, but they're, they exploit people in sinister ways that aren't necessarily sex trafficking. Yeah. That then get talked about way less. Yeah. Because they're less exciting and right. They're not salacious. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, the other thing, yeah, so pedophilia is kind of a scapegoat or like a placeholder, I think, Mm -hmm. for general moral decay and decrepitude. And I think real feelings of class resentment. Yeah, probably. Um, and then I think it also... That could be channeled in more productive ways. Yeah, like, yeah, I agree. And then, but I also think like it, they, the kind of pedophile discourse reveals people's paranoia about the motives of others mm-hmm. in this like war of all against all world right like everybody is suspect and everybody is projecting onto everybody else right and anyone can be a pedophile except for women <laughs> i mean not even women aren't safe yeah i guess not yeah <laughs> can women be pedophiles it's a good question well sure I mean, Golan Maxwell. Yeah, that's true. But the, but women are usually accessories to pedophilia. They're like accomplices in that they're like fixers and, and madams. Right. I mean, I'm sure there's female pedophiles. There's all sorts of degeneracy. Like diddling and fiddling. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, any other thoughts on? No, can't really. Wouldn't recommend cuties. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend it. I wouldn't <laughs> not recommend it either. It's like literally a movie that I watched and forgot about. Yeah. 
other than the actress, the main actress, I hope she goes far. For sure. And, um, you know, I hope that when puberty hits, she stays as beautiful as she is now. <laughs> becomes the next Lupita Nyong'o. Um, is that Leia? That is roommate Leia, yeah. Oh, Hi, yeah. Leia. We should I mean, also her- the filmmaker said that she, I read kind of the production tab on the wiki for Cuties, and she mm-hmm. said that she worked with, um, that the casting process was extensive, that she kind of worked with the girls, her actors, about their own kind of experiences, and that there was like a child psychologist present on set. Mm-hmm. Which I guess is, I mean, admirable, her due diligence or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it also kind of made me think that she can't be that surprised that her film is controversial if she had to make it with a child psychologist on set. You know, like if you need to hire a child psychologist to make your movie, then you have to have an implicit understanding that your movie is dealing with experiences and subject matter that are going to make people feel troubled and uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's funny, like, you know, I was reading this, like, um, I don't know if I mentioned this already, um, but I was reading, um, like, a quote from from one of the articles of this Indiana congressman, Jim Banks, who talks about, oh, the lessons taught in this film are not ones I want my daughters learning. The DOJ should be readying charges against Netflix for distribution of child pornography. Um, and I was thinking, like, really? Because the lessons of this movie are pr- pretty, like, uh, also, again, boilerplate and garden variety, but they're not bad, it, they're literally like don't embrace extremes and uh, I mean until the very end basically yeah and with the instances of kind of bullying that Amy experiences at least when she first joins the twerking dance crew um she is having a pretty good time yeah, yeah. <laughs> it does seem like a kind of a and positive like thing in her life something. initially the funniest part of the, the movie though i have to say is when um they mock her for being like flat as a board and mm-hmm. f- like flat up and down or whatever because like these young ladies aspire to kind of like a video girl pog body but i was thinking about how all the girls in dime square aspire to look like white amy like, <laughs> be, like waves and it's funny also how they kick the fat girl out of the clique i was oh, yeah. like this is like fat phobic Totally. There's a lot of problems with cuties. <laughs> Netflix must be canceled. Yeah, I would have liked it to be a better movie, but it's not the worst movie for a directorial debut. Sure. By a strong, beautiful woman of color. It's, yeah, it had some very sophisticated moments, but it's, yeah, I mean, it's certainly not child pornography. No. Because its intent isn't to titillate yeah (laughs) and if it does titillate some american netflix pedophiles then that's kind of a different that's a different conversation yeah that's the one that censorship doesn't need to you know enter into it's like we should have a referendum on our pedophilic pornographic culture yeah that that um incentivizes people to obsess over lurid sensationalist topics like pedophilia while indefinitely postponing their own childbearing yeah yeah like i also want to know how many of the women who are obsessed with age gaps and pedophilia have kids i mean none like none like 0.8 percent (laughs) 0.08 percent 
Yeah. Um. Anyway, sh- shall we move on to? Yes. Charlie Kaufman. I'm thinking of ending things. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> Is the name of Charlie Kaufman's new film? <laughs> Real drag. Yeah, bummer. Wasted what, like two and a half hours? Yeah, that thing was long. Too much, too long. The audacity to make a film that long and that that boring, that bad. Yeah. What was your interpretation of? There will be spoilers, I guess, obviously. But what was your kind of? I saw lots of, you know, if you type in, I'm thinking of ending things. Explained is like the next thing that comes up. People really love to have movies digested and explained to them but i saw diff- many different kind of like interpretations of the meta narrative of the movie yeah to um, me i thought go ahead yeah uh sorry <laughs> i thought it was about Off queen um it was like a horror movie basically about dementia or like alzheimer's mm-hmm. and the woman in it she's like she references this paper she's writing about like rabies Mm -hmm. in the first portion and like the virality of, of rabies. And then she goes to her, uh, she's having kind of ambivalent feelings about her relationship as she's en route to visit his parents. And then they have this kind of like psychedelic, um, time at his parents' house that's sort of jumbled and haunting in a very Kaufman-esque way. And the parents like shape shift and age. Yeah. Um, And then, and meanwhile, it cuts to the kind of like footage of this janitor wandering around Mm -hmm. um, a high school where kids are rehearsing for Oklahoma. And then the themes from (laughs) those disjointed parts of the film are then echoed in the, the couple's kind of kind of conversations and so my take was like the whole movie is kind of the demented fever dream of this janitor who is the younger man. He's Jake, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Jake is the kind of janitor who's um, having kind of demented hallucinations as he's reflecting on his life and relationships. Yes. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. Um and I think, yeah, it's it's also a movie about the kind of internal interior monologue of a guy who's been broken up with by his girlfriend. Right. It um, seems to be from her perspective, but then becomes evidently sort of about his interior space. Yeah, I, I think like the senility and dementia part is on point. Um it's sort of like, I mean, Charlie Kaufman is basically like David Lynch for ugly people. That's like <laughs> his his uh, <clears throat> kind of aesthetic. But he's he's into like the subconscious and like psychoanalysis, yeah. dreams, like this yeah. kind of thing. Um, and, and interior. The nature of memories. It reminded me of uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Yeah. And that it also dealt yeah. thematically with a break up through kind of the fragmented subconscious space of memory yeah and brain damage and stuff but eternal sunshine is a much better film that has a lot more kind of mm, joy and whimsy nuance and whimsy in it because it was directed by michelle gondry yes and every time kaufman directs i mean people make this critique of him that i it's hard to disagree with it's like it becomes this very um 
maudlin kind of navel gazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, thing that ought to be maybe tempered a little bit. By yeah, some, he by he else. has no restraint or discipline as a director. He's really like very much the kind of liberal Jewish child who no one said no to growing up. So he <laughs> thinks uh, he expresses every single thought that pops into his mind without a sense for like a hierarchy of importance, mm-hmm. and no one's there to tell him like, hey, this is like. Uh, minutia and trivia and probably should not be fleshed out right um, it's interesting because the the woman's narration actually fell flat for me because it is it's a masculine internal monologue and he really is a filmmaker for people who are uh, uh with overactive internal monologues who are obsessed or besotted with them i.e., right. jewish right well i thought that's why i kind of came away with the i the um the thought that it was all sort of his internal monologue and projections onto her. Yeah. And then, right. My initial kind of problem with it was I was like, everyone in this movie is like talking in Charlie Kaufman's voice. Yeah. Which, which, I which guess also is a, it was an intentional choice on his part. Yeah. And it, it, that wouldn't be the worst thing if the movie was edited for interest and if his inner voice was, interesting but it's not right it's very um preoccupied yeah with its own kind of neuroses and suffering yeah and here this is my problem with charlie kaufman in general and with jewish humor in general (laughs) as exemplified by people like larry david and woody allen who are by the way much better kind of uh directors writers but they have a touch of this um he thinks he's that because he suffers more than most people that he's special never mind that he can't prove that he suffers more than most people but because he's kind of able to express his suffering more than most Mm -hmm. or willing it's not even that he's able he's just willing most people (laughs) keep their shit under wraps um but and i think like not only is his suffering and neurosis but also his self-awareness of his suffering and neurosis and his like ability to make light of it kind of informs his feeling of like intellectual and moral superiority Mm-hmm. you know what i mean it's mm-hmm. like larry david and woody allen have this too and it, it, the problem with it is that this is like a fundamentally delusional and self-flattering narrative right um like he he thinks that he's basically um a sage and an ironist and he's really a dupe he's very easy to uh take advantage of or men like this are in general it's like remember that um new york mag interview with sunyi about woody allen she's like well he's so gullible and naive yeah Yeah. like anyone can take advantage of him as mia farrow did yeah yeah um yeah i mean i am a fan of kaufman's i think he is like a a a good tremendous screenwriter yeah um i thought he did this very well in say adaptation where Mm -hmm. his character played by nick cage has like a twin brother Mm who is the kind of less neurotic foil Mm -hmm. who's taking like a screenwriting seminar and trying to write like a very um uh sort of banal kind of populist film that the charlie coppin character feels it's like exactly what you're describing yeah he feels this kind of like moral intellectual superiority to his brother Mm -hmm. um but in their dynamic again not directed by charlie kaufman yeah um there's more of like an irony more of like a a a critique of the like myopic jewish psyche yeah um and when he's left to his own devices he really like revels in it much more 
Yeah, no, I it, and, and you know, I was just telling you, I watched being John John Malkovich as like a palate mm-hmm. cleanser afterward, and that movie is much better because again, he wrote it, but he didn't direct it. Yeah, he needs to be curbed a little bit. And yeah, Chuck, and I also say this by the way as like a person I don't know anything about Charlie Kaufman. I've watched his movies like periodically, sporadically, but I'm like. I don't hate him as an artist. I find him frustrating as an artist because he could be really good. I think that filmmaking is directing rather is not a good kind of medium for him. I thought, yeah, well, I've, um, I'm thinking of anything things, I guess is based on a novel mm-hmm. by somebody else. Someone else. Okay. Um, and he wrote a novel recently that I've heard good things about, but he's, his impulses seem to me, to work better kind of in a novel format where he Mm -hmm. can, he has more room for like interiority Mm -hmm. Um, and more readers have more patience kind of like I thought, um, I bet if we watched, I'm thinking of ending things twice, you would pick up on all these kind of clever things that he had sort of woven through the whole movie, but the audacity of expecting people to, watch this movie in full at all i know he he forecloses on that possibility by making a fucking two and a half hour long masturbatory like fever dream right nobody wants to i mean i feel like i've wasted two and a half hours i mean there's a part where um well when she goes into his childhood bedroom there's kind of this lingering shot on his um his books which has like a has the David Foster Wallace essay collection and like a Pauline Kale, yeah. <laughs> and then they're in the car and they start having this um, this conversation about like Cassavetes that you realize is just like a Pauline Kale essay. Yeah, yeah. And then they start talking about David Foster Wallace, and then also just verbatim kind of repeating portions of, and that's meant to convey, I guess, the experience of uh, a person maybe afflicted with Alzheimer's whose mind is like jumbled with influence and information that isn't theirs. Yeah. And that's they're talking interesting about, oh, enough, the, but to expect people to watch two boring people sit in a car and recite yeah. DFW essays yeah. for such an extended portion of the movie is un bearable it really made me think of ending things i was like i could just end it now i could take poor eli out with me um yeah the i'm the girl in the movies the guy (laughs) (laughs) um yeah and it's like literally i thought thank god it didn't end up being i thought it was going to be a two and a half hour movie about two charmless unattractive people taking a charmless unattractive road trip and i was like no not today satan the other thing is (laughs) usually uh, coffin usually uses like philip seymour hoffman and and Catherine keener and for various reasons they were not available uh so these people are like the dsa version of those actors the male what's the male actor's name i don't know i actually like him a lot he's he's very talented he plays the son in the irishman yes yeah he's a good actor he's married he just had a baby with kirsten dunst actually oh really that's Mm -hmm. so cute um (gasps) that's really cute yeah but the girl didn't really do it for me it seems one of my friends made this point that uh kaufman made this movie with the mentality that what people like about his films is women with frizzy hair, like talking about their relationships and not the kind of like high concept, um, 
unconscious like psychedelic elements of his films that people actually do like Mm -hmm. and so he just right charmless car ride with two charmless people yeah and i I think yeah he's like kind of like um not a, a faithful uh kind of interpreter of his own artistic vision he's like not to be trusted on some level yeah um and it's like you know, the the best parts for me were like all that weird animal stuff when they get to the farmhouse initially mm-hmm. and there's like the kind of weird like depression in the ground for from when these pigs that they were raising on the farm were eat, being eaten alive by maggots yeah. and it was like this really bizarre morbid thing that almost reminded me of like Ari Aster movies well you haven't seen Hereditary have no, you no no yeah. Yeah, yeah um Tony Collette, who does a great job. I'm a big fan of Tony Collette. She plays and the she's mother. the mom. In yeah. The yeah, she plays the mom in Hereditary. Right. Yeah. Um, which the movie was reminded me of, especially with the casting of Tony Collette, who I'm like, oh, she's gonna be really typecast now as this like mom unpleasant, <laughs> <Horror> <laughs> scary mommy. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was very reminiscent of of Hereditary. But it like you that keep it had, waiting like, a winding scary for, house, yeah. But you keep waiting for something truly morbid and horrific to happen, and no. it never does. Just the horrific mundanity of aging. Yeah, it's like a movie about blue balls, You're just forever <laughs> waiting to come, but you can't. I know. At one point, I was like, I realized that there was like. 40 minutes left and i was like there's not gonna be a fucking payoff is there it's gonna have one of those fucking stupid endings that's like the ending was you you decide (laughs) what i don't know what do you think it was about kind of ending that's like going to be so unsatisfying i knew this movie was going to be a wash for me when um the the kind of tiny font and the twee score at the beginning. I was like, this is already a twee and whimsical movie. You don't really have to like insist on it. But if you insist, but if you insist, I mean, was there a producer? Did no one, can no one stop him? This is the real movie that Netflix should be canceled for. (laughs) Not cuties. Right. I bet they, they probably developed it and paid for it. And so they don't need to, that's the problem with a lot of these streaming platforms netflix included is that they pour all this money into development rather than acquisition Mm -hmm. and so then these movies end up being made that really no one likes or wants to see yeah and can we just talk about also how it looks like shit it reminds me of like when we saw joker with maddie and she was like this movie looks like shit and i was like oh yeah i didn't even think of that but it just like the format the um color grading it all looked like shit and then you watch like eternal sunshine or being john malkovich and they look great like even if you yeah. don't like the movies they look visually very good well yeah i mean i snagging new york i think is his best direct directorial mm-hmm. um venture animal lisa the puppet one he made also very bleak it's just it's very i would love to see him i don't know like actually reckon with himself more Uh and try like how so like mm, to engage with the themes that he's preoccupied with in a way that is kind of more spirited and generous yeah i agree with that i mean okay the problem with charlie kaufman is that he has a very obscure arcane 
hyper-specific, idiosyncratic view of the world, Mm -hmm. which is great as an artist. The problem is that you have to then, part of the work of of being a good artist, a good auteur, is turning that that, um, kind of appetite for arcana or whatever into an idiomatic vision. Like I forgot who said this about Fellini, but, mm. but Fellini, everything we think of Italian cinema comes from Fellini. Right. Like the, the busty whores, the kind of philandering cads, <laughs> the vintage cars, whatever. That's all his personal canon that he, you know, there's diaries from when Fellini was like a 16 year old boy that he made little sketches of all these types to mm-hmm. whatever that then made it into his films. Yeah. And they appear again and again. Um, you know, David Lynch is like the the auteur of of Americana, of like right. the dark side. Like, I'm not even a fan of David Lynch, but when you think of like a certain kind of like Hopper esque, yeah, uh, seedy underbelly of like all American life, that's David Lynch. Well, Lynch has a sense also for entertainment, yeah, which is a big part of filmmaking like he's not, a, he's not a neurotic that's the thing yeah he's a goy he's a goy exactly <laughs> yeah and like um uh, and he's in an aesthete you know which yeah. Kaufman is is not he has these kind of aesthetic preferences yeah for frizzy haired women and like layers wearing sweaters and yeah. stuff but um he should direct a Pantene Pro V commercial <laughs> Like in reverse, but it's like yeah, he you can't be mad at people. He's not interested in like beauty, yeah, or like he's or even the dark in, side of beauty or anything. Well, he's interested in a very kind of hyper specific, uh, arcane definition of beauty that only he's aware of that yeah. people like don't get. It's like when I try to explain to people why Steve Bannon's hair and tan are <laughs> <laughs> appealing or whatever, right? But exactly, people don't get it. They don't get and it, and then he feels vindicated as a kind of misunderstood genius. Yes. Struggling artist, perennial underdog. Because people don't enjoy watching his films. Yeah. You can't be mad and butthurt that people don't get you. And by the way, I actually, Eli's been reading this, uh, clunker of a book i know the book comes highly recommended but it's like it's a novel about kind of like it's a critique of wokeness to its credit okay but the thing is also it's like one of his movies it's like you know three thousand it's like the bible it's like ten thousand pages long you have to really slog through it and i opened it up and he makes some funny points but i like listed through a couple of pages and it's more of the same like hyper quirky idiosyncratic like look how clever i am Mm -hmm. like self-satisfied stuff and i just hate being confronted with an artist's inner process like that yeah i don't ever want to be subject to somebody's interior monologue ever and it's audacious to expect people to enjoy something like that or to be patient with it or to engage with it yeah it's he needs to really check his privilege I think, he does <laughs> white male jewish privilege because i think few people would be able to take he's really carved out like a niche for himself where he's able to get away with shit like this i mean to his credit he's been incredibly remarkably successful being an annoying needling neurotic <laughs> so good for him mazel, mazel. Baruch Hashem. Mm-hmm. um and I say this, by the way, with utmost respect and admiration for Charlie Kaufman, because I do enjoy him as an artist and I'm writer. rooting for, for him. Yeah. Um, he's just clearly very depressed. 
is he would you be depressed if you had his money and reputation Do you, does he have children um that's a good question he has a wife he has um, like a jewish yoga wife um i believe that he's legitimately depressed or at least attached to his depression in a self-sabotaging way which is still a kind of depression a kind of pit, <laughs> a kind of pitfall um he and should we, go on wellbutrin yeah he should. i'd love to see a kaufman movie on on wellbutrin <laughs> god um, i mean he's incredibly productive for a depressed person i will i'll give him that yeah that's true most um people I'm, in that state of mind would probably wallow rather than make a two and a half hour long film I mean, look, if you can, he has one child. Okay, so he's not doomed. And an Irish wife. I lied. You lied. But, Irish yoga wife. Yeah. <laughs> but good for him. I mean, he has at least one kid. His life is complete. And he's made a ton of movies. Yeah. He's not. He's no loser, this guy. Even though he likes pretending that he's one. To be a to be an underdog, yes. Yeah. Um. Anyway... I'm looking at my notes. How are we doing? We're at hour 20. We no, could wrap bad. it up. I didn't think that I could talk so long about... <laughs> I'm thinking of ending absolute things. absolute snore of a film. Mm. I will never be watching this film again. And in fact, I regret having seen it. And I, I would rather Why did recommend we watch? Cuties. Why did we watch this? Um, to, uh, because I, I think people were talking about it and and there was even a thread on the sub where people were like this here's my problem with charlie kaufman as an artist and i was like yes finally (laughs) somebody gets it yeah mostly we just didn't want to talk about about biden anymore oh yeah talk about dementia yeah speaking of um, (laughs) yeah i mean what else is going on like uh what was that sounds like a ship it's like a schooner um I, I don't know nothing's going on trump offered to debate biden on rogan which i think is really sick and should yeah, happen cool idea like jk rowling's writing a book about a man who wears women women's clothing to kill women yeah. <laughs> which uh, is yeah. incredible. history um, goes on <laughs> look more of the same more of the same I, I can't believe somebody is writing a book about charlotte climber good for her <laughs> about samantha pritchard (laughs) (laughs) anyway um that's all i really got that's all for us that's all folks see we'll see you in hell hell. we're not pedophiles by the way (laughs) what we're not